So the theme this month's about love. And uh, I had started doing a lot of research on love. Perfect love casts out fear and Brother Dan preached half of it. And then he goes, he says, look, don't worry about it. What did you have for breakfast last week? He said, I don't know. He says, right, no one's going to remember what I preached. But, you know, it wasn't sitting right on my heart anyway, so I had something else I just want to share with you tonight. But, you know, I was sitting, I was reading at breakfast. Eric? Eric? What? You never tell me you love me anymore. I told you when we got married, I loved you. And if it changes, I'll let you know. That's a joke I told a few years ago in the office. And Pastor Craig, he looked up and he went, he just doesn't like those type of jokes. Dan and I love him. We think they're funny. But you know, he didn't like it. But all joking aside, I do love her. And it's, hopefully there'll be things I'll say in here tonight that, well, you know, they were working on me because, you know, when you're doing reading, you're searching, reading your Bible, praying about it, man, devil gives you a hard time and the person that's preparing for preaching, they get more out of it than those that's going to be sitting there. And I got quite a lot out of it. Um, And I'll probably tell you a little event that happened last week and how God really challenged me through this. But anyway... So what is love? So many people use the word love for just about anything. And I loved uh, to use it without thinking at times. I think we all do that. Some people just use it just intuitively. I love this, I love that, and so on. But what do we mean when we say things like, I love my Land Rover? And I think about that and I go, I do love my Land Rover. What does that mean, love my Land Rover? Alice and I, we love Indian food, don't we love? We just say, don't we love? We love Indian food. Or do we... Or uh, uh, I love that jacket. Or Alison would say, I love that dress. I'd love that dress. And I'm going, we go this way in the shop, (laughs) you know. So do we really mean love? Or is the word that we use to mean, emphasize something else like desire? Or maybe I want to. Or maybe I really, really like this thing. Is that what we mean? Sometimes we're using, I love this and I love that. The word love is used in sensual relationships. Young men often say and I talk, spoke to my girls and I've talked to other young men when I worked with them. I said, young men, they'll often say, if you love me, you'll sleep with me. Do you know? Emotional blackmail. Or is it a form of psychology with their girlfriend? You decide. An example um, I heard from a friend of ours called Lee Freese. He's from Rochester, New York. I won't go into all the details, but again, it was the word love that came up. And it's, this one struck me. And I've never resolved this in my mind as to what he really meant, or if I could agree with what he was trying to say. And I, I don't want to go into the details, so um, I'll just be brief about this example. And there was a friend of ours, Alice and I have a friend, this girl, who used to go to the other church, Lee Valley, the Baptist church dealer in the village. And she had a daughter, and this other guy was, the, uh, was her partner, but she moved out. Things weren't going so well. He had rights to her, and he got her at weekends and so on. So one Sunday, I'm sitting talking to her, and she says, listen, i got to go, because i got to go and pick up my daughter. So church was over, and away she went. She got home, no sign. Waited, no sign. That night, she was really panicking, no sign. But she was going, she's with her dad, it's okay, he loves her. And she's rigging around everybody to see where he is, couldn't trace him. Next day, couldn't trace him. This went on for months and months. Now she's a bit of a wizard, in IT, and she was on the internet searching, and she had gone to the guards, all sorts of things. She got reports of different people. I think his car was seen at Ross Lair, and so she was checking online to see, no, maybe he's in France, no, maybe he's gone to Spain, no, oh, maybe he's got a plane out to America somehow, and she's on checking all these things out. And this went on for, oh, well over a year. Eventually the guards had got a report. There was a man with a child, and what he had actually done was he had hit her away in the next county, in Tip. And he didn't want her to be found. And instead of going and buying shoes for the child because she was growing up, he cut the toes out of him so her toes could stick out of the shoes. Didn't want anybody to know. Now, this is a horrendous thing. And I won't go into details. But anyway, guards came to the door and said, Dad, excuse me, we're looking for a sausage. 
No, not here. No, close the door. Two guards went away and he said, that's the guy. So they made a radio call and so on, right, we'll go back and we'll rescue the child. It's not that uh, we believe she's in any harm, but her dad's taken her and he was supposed to take her back and the mother hasn't seen her for over a year and so on. What he did was he took the child who was about nine and he had a shotgun and he killed, him, killed her and himself. At the funeral, Lee Fries, um, he was speaking at the funeral and he mentioned, he said, he loved his child but it was love that was gone bad. I don't know if I understand or I agree with love that can go bad because love comes from God. How can love be bad? He was a very possessive, very strict, strict controller, a very intense guy, do you know? And at the, uh, the weekend away with the church, instead of letting her go into the creche with all the other children, so he didn't go into the preaching, he went in and he sat there the whole time in the creche and watched his daughter. He was a very intense person. So the thing is, was it love gone bad or was it his personality? Was it possessiveness? Was it demonic influence on him that caused that to happen? I struggle with that term, love gone bad, because it comes from God. I don't see how love can be bad if it comes from God. So that's just an example of talking about different types of love, from loving my Land Rover to Alice and loving to buy a dress that I won't pay for, and this love gone bad. Anyway, but is that what the Bible means when it mentions love? We see the word love throughout the Bible and in different contexts. And in different contexts, then it must have other meanings. Going to look at the word love, I'm not going to cover all of it, just four different types. And before we start here, folks, not in any wildest imagination am I a Greek scholar. On the odd time I might look up the Greek or word in the Greek just to try and get the real sense of the meaning of it or to help me understand. And it's very rare I go to the Greek. But I wanted to share four Greek words with you for love that are important to Christians to understand. And the four major words are agape, filio, Eros and Storge. And there's also a number of variations of those four main words. Uh, Agapetos, Astorgos, Cataphilio, Philadelphia, Philanthropia, uh, Philema, Philia, Philos, and Philostorgos. Do you want to know all those meanings? You'll have to go and look them up because I don't know. There are so many of them and variations of them. But I will look the four main. Agape. So this is the most common word for the love in the New Testament, and it occurs 259 times. Um, it's a verb, or as a noun, which means to define a person, maybe, or describe an action. So, philos and philio, they occur only 54 times. And eros and sturgeo, or sturge, they actually don't occur in the New Testament. And all this time, nearly 35 years saved, I thought all four words were in the New Testament. But I'll explain that later, why Eros and Sturgeo don't appear in the New Testament. So if we're going to understand the word love in the Bible and the biblical world, it's important we understand what these words mean and then how they differ. So the definition of agape, we'll start with that. Agape is selfless, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional love, it's the highest of the four types of love in the Bible. This Greek word agape and variations of it are frequently found in the New Testament. Agape perfectly describes the kind of love Jesus has for his Father and also that he has for his followers. Agape is the term that defines God's immeasurable and incomparable love for humankind. It is his ongoing his outgoing, his self-sacrificing concern for the lost and the fallen souls of people. God gives this love without condition. It's unreservedly to those who are undeserving and in fear to himself. Hang on. He just described me there. That's the way God looks at me. I'm in fear. I'm undeserving. And yet God gives me his love unconditionally. The Greek word that refers to the love of God is one of the kinds of loves that we are to have for people. That's us born-again, Bible-believing Christians. That's it. the love we're to have for people. And that is that agape love. Agape is the very nature of God. Um, Brother Dan, would you turn to 1 John 4 and read 7 to 12 for me, please? And yes, I'll have a few people reading tonight. 1 John 4, 7 to 12. 
place. First John chapter four, verse seven says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then in verse 16 it says, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So the key to understanding agape is to realize that it can be known from an action that it prompts. In fact, sometimes you hear it spoken of as the action model, agape love. <coughs> People today are accustomed to thinking of love as a feeling, but it's not the case with agape love. Agape is love because of what it does, not because of oh, how it feels. Feelings can follow out of agape love after an action of love. So if you do something for someone, do an action, you can go, man, I feel good about doing that for that person. I'm glad I did that. And in fact, I think I heard Jennifer one time said, I did such and such for a person, and I'm glad I did that for them. So that's a feeling that comes out of the agape love. Gavin, would you read John 3.16, please? And in the football grounds, you look, if you're watching the matches on television, so you see them starting up, John 3.16. You know what, I'm going, I wonder if the unsaved know what John 3.16 means. Maybe they should write the whole verse out. Right? Mm. Uh, for God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, there's an action. God gave his son. It did not feel good to God to do that but it was the loving thing to do. That's how much he loved us. And he didn't want to feel good about it. He says, I love him, and I'm going to give him for dad. So Christ so loved, or agape, for Christ so agape that he gave his life. He did not want to die, but he loved. So he did what God required. A mother who loves a sick baby will stay up all night caring for it, and I've seen my wife do that, which is not something that she wants to do, but it's a true act of agape love. And I'm sure most mothers, and even some fathers, or most fathers, have actually done that, stayed up all night with their children. The point is that agape love is not simply an impulse generated from our feelings. Rather, agape love is an exercise of the will, a deliberate choice. It's not a feeling, it's an act of your will. Sometimes I feel I don't want to do something for someone but I know I have to do it, and it's the right loving thing to do. This is why God can command us to love our enemies. Um, Kathy, would you read Matthew 5.44, please? Please. Love your enemies. And you're just going to have to find something with an enemy, an act that you can do. Um, I remember reading about heaping coals on their head. It's putting shame on them by doing good things to them. And I put a lot of stuff up on Facebook about Muslim extremists. And some people got the wrong idea that, and when you're speaking in general terms, you can give the wrong idea that you don't love Muslims. But I do. But I don't like what they're doing, the extremists, and I hate their acts of what they're doing. But I want to see Muslims saved. When I hear about Brother Fergali and uh, others and Philip over in Indonesia working with Muslims and they're getting saved, do you know, God can work in their hearts just like he worked in my heart. Let me turn to Exodus 23 and I'm going to read 1 to 5 for you. 
Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. That is, don't be with the crowd. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, this is, remember this is a command from God, thou shalt surely bring it back to him. Look, there's an act of love. Love your enemy. Verse 5. If thou see the ass of him that heareth thee lying under his burden, and wouldest bear for bear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. That's from the Old Testament. And Kathy read from the New Testament. And Jesus said, do good to your enemies. Agape love is related to obedience and to commitment. And it's not a feeling or an emotion. Loving someone is to obey God on another's behalf. You're seeking the other's, uh, his or her long-term blessing and profit. Blessing that they'll get saved. Or blessing that you'll restore a relationship with them. We have to find ways to love people. And that's friend and foe. It might be the only thing at times we might be able to do is to pray. Remember, you're bringing a friend or a foe that you need to love. You're bringing them to the throne of grace. But that bringing to the throne of grace is talking to God about a person. And talking to God can, well, it usually should change our thoughts and our behavior about a person. What about loving God? Sometimes I tell God, I wonder at times just how much I love you, God. Because, you know, I'm not always good at obeying your commands. So the way to know that we agape God is that we keep his commandments. That's how we can measure how much we're loving God. Jesus said, John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one that loves me. There are Christians who say they love God, but their lifestyle does not show the love of God. Example would be not having a devotional time with God. There's so many Christians say, oh, I love God. I really do. Really? And do you find time to go and spend time alone with him and to read his words so that he can speak to you and to talk it over, talk things through with him? You love him, but you don't spend time with him. Some people mistake their feelings of affection for God for the true agape love. They feel their love with an emotional feeling, but emotions come and they go, and they don't have an action that is motivated by true love. I want to give you a kind of an example of emotions. It crept in, and it's in there now, but, oh, I don't know how long I'm here, eight, nine years or something at this church. So approximately 10, 12, maybe even 14 years ago, it started to come in and in the other church when I was there, and I'm not slating them because there are loads of churches do it, uh, or people do it in different churches, and they'd be singing choruses, and, you know, they'd be caught up in it, and the eyes would be closed, and I feel that I'm worshipping God because I have this good feeling. But are they worshipping God? Or is it just an emotion feeling that makes me feel that I'm worshipping God? Do you know, I heard a, uh, a guy one time, a real guy that I'm, I hold him in esteem. He was just growing in the Lord, but he was leading the service. And he said, okay, singing's finished. That's our worship time finished. Now we're going to have a preacher up to preach to us. And I spoke to him afterwards. And I said, the minute you walk in the door until the minute we walk out of the door, we're worshiping. And central to our worship is God's word. It's not about good feelings and emotions. And that's the thing about emotions. You, something can stir up anger and you can be angry with someone and then you find the right way out of it and go, oh, why did I get angry over that? You know? So emotions, they come and go. Okay. I'm not sure she's going to love me after this. <laughs> this is an example. I had words with her last week. Bit of a humdinger. I was wrong. But you know... Because I was studying this and I was in this and I was giving out buckets to her and she was annoyed with me and she was at one side of the kitchen and I was at the other sitting down. And this is strange because when you're in these sort of emotional things and you're angry, you know, anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. 
what God spoke to me through the Holy Spirit. And I think he was teaching me to show me and to give an example tonight. was, get up and go over and give her a hug. You know you're wrong. No, she annoyed me and I'm angry. Not quite like that. So, and then I said, oh, okay, you're talking to me here, God, aren't you? Yes, get up and go and give her a hug. Doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. Get up. and So I got up and I walked over to her and I put my arms around her and a surge of emotion came. I'm glad I did it. Story ended. She doesn't know this. But I didn't want to make her a cup of tea either because I was still a bit annoyed with her. I made her a cup of tea because God said, make her a cup of tea. So agape love, your emotions might get the better of you and you don't want to hug your wife or you don't want to make her a cup of tea because she annoys you. I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. She can get up and make her own tea. Can't boil. Make her own tea. Because I've been, God spoke to me and I got up and I did it. And I made her a cup of tea. And sometimes you just got to do things in agape love that you don't want to do. Because it's the righteous thing, it's the right thing, it's the God way of doing things. And we don't have rows every day. And there is stress in our house because there's eight of us living there and three dogs. And water coming through the ceiling and all the rest of it. But that's another story. But it doesn't help. Anyway, I love my wife. And I didn't just tell her once. And again, I tell her I love her. And I buy her bars of chocolate. John fourteen twenty four. I wonder if uh, uh, was it you, Kathy? Or, would you read the next one, John chapter fourteen, So Jesus is saying, look, if you don't keep my sayings, do not show me love. It's that simple. He says, he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. So we can measure how much we're loving God by how much we're being obedient to him. The lovely thing to do may not always be easy, and true love is not the mushy sentimentalism. I love you, I really love you, and that's not really true love. So where your heart is beating and swelling up in your chest, I love that girl. That's not really the true love. It's an action. There's often a cost to genuine love. For example... We have to punish criminals and we have to protect society. And that's a loving thing to do, to protect society. And by punishing a criminal, you're trying to restore them to the right relationship with society. And it's not easy and it's not a pleasant thing to do. But We've had to do it in this church and I've seen it in other churches and so on. But sometimes you have to ask people to leave your fellowship. You have to put them out of the fellowship because they're persisting in deliberate sin. And I remember a friend, a brother in the Lord, he's dead now, died a couple of years ago. And I remember him using the term tough love. And sometimes you have to do tough love. Even with your kids, we have to do tough love with them. No, and you're not having it, and I need you to go to your room, you're going to stay there, or whatever. But sometimes it has to be tough love, because you're trying to restore them, and you're trying to do the right thing by them. Christians um, are to be known for their love, one for another. John 13, and I'll read this one, 34 and 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon, uh, or 34, I should have A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So that's a command from Jesus. And he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. He spoke to Peter. Peter, do you love me? He said it three times. Do you love me? And he really wants us to take heed because he said it three times. And he mentions that. You have to love one another. And so if he, he wants us to take heed, if he's to say it three times to us, then he wants us to obey that command. 
And it goes beyond how we feel. It's an action taken, whether we want to do it or not. It is the loving action. It is the right thing to do. It is obedience to Christ's command to love one another. And then the world's going to know we are his disciples. Right, let's look at the word filial. So the definition for that is friendship, affection, fondness, and love. I'll look these all up. Phileos means close friendship. And we see it quite often in here, brotherly love in the Greek. It conveys a strong feeling of attraction with its opposite, and I didn't know this, the opposite of filio or phileos or filio, that close brotherly friendship. The opposite of it is phobia. An irrational fear of things like spiders and heights and closed spaces. That's the opposite of it. You can see how phileos then gets translated to love because in modern culture we say we love things that we strongly like. I love ice cream. And I'm sure there may be one or two here. I, like, I love my car. I love my Land Rover. I love the way your hair looks. And we just bandy this word, I love, all the time. And we, in the English we just have the one word, love. And we got to look at it in the context and try and work out what we really mean. And so from the Greek word phileos, we also get English words like philosophy, philanthropy, philology, bibliophile, Philadelphia, Philly. Do you know what? They're all Greek to me. (laughs) And the most general form of love in the Bible, encompassing love for fellow humans, care, respect, compassion for people in need. And that's the most common form of phileos then is the friendship. And other forms of this Greek words, Uh, are found throughout the New Testament. And as Christians, we're frequently exhorted to love our fellow Christians. Is there anybody here from Philly? Yeah, anybody here from Philly? What's what's Philly short for? Yeah. No, it's not. Philadelphia. He doesn't know where he comes from. But he knows what it means. Yeah, brotherly love. I knew the only one from Philly. <laughs> it's a city of brotherly love. That's what it means. So Philadelphia then is a, another one of those words that's uh, taken from that is brotherly love. And it appears a handful of times. Then philia, the friendship appears. And this is one that got me. It appears once in James. We'll find out in a second. Romans 12.10. Could you, Leo, read Romans 10.12 for me? 12.10. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And that's a bit of a tough one because it says, kindly affectioned one to another with that brotherly love and honor preferring the one over self. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Hebrews 13, verse 1 Let brotherly love continue. It's not just something that starts, or you might use it all the time. It's to continue. It's something that we're to use all the time within the fellowship. 2 Peter 1.7 And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. So we're to have godliness, but we're to add to that brotherly kindness. I wonder if Darren would read 1 Peter 1, 22, please. And then Sherry, if you would look at 1 Peter 3, 8, please. One Peter one twenty two and then one Peter three verse eight, please. And it says unfeigned love, don't pretend. 
make it real. 1 Peter 3, please. And to love as brethren. We are brethren. James 4 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And that's the one that appears once in the Bible, Philia. And if you're having a friendship with the world, you're making a friendship, you're enmity with God. And I was thinking, so. If you're a friendship with the world and you want to be with them and side with them and encourage them and all these mixed marriages and nonsense and all this thing, are you stepping into the enemy's camp and saying, I love you God, but I'm in the other camp now. I'm an, an enemy of God. You're making yourself an enemy. And I'm using the extreme one about the mixed marriage, but there's all sorts of things that you can do to love the world. Are you stepping into the enemy's camp? So let me read from Strong's Concordance here. The Greek verb philio is closely related to the noun philia. It means to show warm affection in intimate friendship. It is characterized by tender, heartfelt consideration and kinship. Both philia and philio originate from the Greek terms philos, a noun meaning beloved, a dear friend, someone dearly loved or prized in a personal way, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in close bonds of personal affection. Those are strong words to think about. And just a little note on the side about the trusted confidant. I remember someone saying, I think it might have been Pastor Craig, make sure you're careful who you pick as confidants because there may be your friend today and may not be your friend next year and you'll have told them everything. That's strange because I'm to have brotherly love and I'm to hold you in esteem kindly and affectionate, and it's supposed to go both ways. So there shouldn't be a falling out in a year's time and he knows all my secrets. It should never happen, really. But the reality of it is. Right, let's look at uh, the definition of eros love, which isn't found in the Bible, the word eros. Eros is a physical, sensual intimacy between a husband and wife and expresses sexual and romantic attraction. Love has many meanings in English, But the ancient Greeks had four words to describe forms of love precisely. Although eros doesn't appear in the New Testament, the Greek term for erotic love, it's portrayed in the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon. I'm nearly 35 years saved. I've only heard one person teach on it, and that's Pastor Craig in all those years. And I have heard some preachers and some of the best in the world. I've listened to it at times. Alice and I went to hear them. And he's the only one I've ever heard talking about the Song of Solomon or Song of Song, Songs, it's called sometimes. The Greek word for sexual love or passionate love is eros, and we get the English word such as erotic from that. But when eros was used as a proper sense, it referred to the Greek eros, god of love, small g for God. Eros is the name of a mythological Greek god of love. It doesn't exist. But eros, the love in marriage... God's very clear in his word that eros love is reserved for marriage. That's it. There's no if, buts, ands, no gray areas. It's black and white. It's just for marriage. Anything outside of that, outside of marriage then, is forbidden. It's just that simple. God created humans, male and female, and he instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, as we're hearing these days. God's word I heard to say this morning, it doesn't change. It's always the same. Laws change all the time. Man's laws, they suit themselves, but God's doesn't. And instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden, and it's between a man and a woman. So within marriage, sex is used for emotional, spiritual bonding, and then for reproduction as well. The Apostle Paul noted that it's wise for people to marry to fulfill their godly desire in this type of love. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, 7, 8 to 9 says, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. With the boundary of marriage, heiress love then is to be celebrated. 
Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Hebrews 13, 4. I pulled out the wrong translation. As soon as I wrote, that's the wrong translation. That's another one. Okay. You all know me. I started King James when I got saved. Then I went to another church, which was the New King James. Then I went to another church, which was the NASFB. And I did the full circle, and now I'm back to King James. But sometimes, some of these things come out mixed up or wrong. Please forgive me for that. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's another one of those ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop there. Yeah. Shouldn't do these from memory, should I? Okay. Eros love is part of God's design, a gift of his goodness for procreation and enjoyment. Sex as God intended it is a source of delight and beautiful blessings to be shared between married couples. Okay. This is the right translation. <laughs> Proverbs five, eighteen and nineteen. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. Ecclesiastes 9.9 9, Live joyfully with the wife of whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou hast taken under the sun. So some of the words, some of the Scriptures are just so poetic and beautiful, and they are just lovely. And you can feel the romance coming out of some of them when you read them. Eros, love in the Bible, affirms sexuality is part of the human existence. We're sexual beings, but we're called to honor God with our bodies. First Corinthians six fifteen to 20 Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Forbid. God forbid. What? Know ye not... That he which has joined us, which is joined to an harlot, is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And you are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit, which are God's. Now, I was going to share with you from Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, but time is moving. So I won't do that one. But I'll move to the last one. If you look at it, it looks like storage, S-T-O-R-G-E, but it's pronounced storge. Oh, I've lost one of my pages. Where did it go? So, storage in the Bible. So in English, the word love has many meanings again, as with eros. The exact Greek term storge does not appear in the Bible. But the opposite form of it is used twice in the New Testament. A storgeos, meaning without love, devoid of affection, without affection to kindred, hard-hearted, unfeeling, and is found in the book of Romans. Now, would you like to read Romans one thirty one for me, please? Romans one verse thirty one. Covenant breakers. Packable. That unpackable means no matter what you do, you're not going to get peace with these people. So where was that? So the unrighteous people are described in those words without understanding. Covenant breakers. 
But there was the one that stood out without natural affection. So, storge, the definition is family love, the bond amongst mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, sisters, and brothers. Strong's lexicon defines storge as cherishing one's kindred, especially parents or children. The mutual love of parents and children and wives and husbands, loving affection, prone to love, loving tenderly, chiefly of the reciprocal tenderness of parents and children. The Greek word translated for without natural affection then is astorgos. 1 Timothy 3.3 talks about the disobedient generation living in the last days is marked without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. And again, the word comes through again without natural affection. And it's translated from the astorgos. So, a lack of storge, right? The natural love among family members. So, if you have, if you see um, a lack of natural affection, it's one of the signs of the end of times. And it's something to be watched for. So, a compound word is two words together made up. So, a compound form of storge is found in Romans 12, 10. 12, 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. In this verse, the Greek word translated love is philostorgos. Putting together philos and storge, it means loving dearly, being devoted, being very affectionate, loving in a way characteristic of a relationship between a husband and wife, mother and child, or a father and a son. Many examples of family love are found in scripture, such as the love uh, and mutual protection among Noah and his wife, their sons and daughters-in-laws that we see in Genesis. And there's the love of Jacob for his sons. And then there's the strong love of the sisters, Martha and Mary, that they had for their brother Lazarus. In Exodus 20:12, God charges his people to do something. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, There's a charge. God's given us a command to honor, to hold up in esteem, to respect, to have great affection towards them. And then the clause was that thy days may be long upon the land with the Lord thy God giveth thee. You know, I know a young fella, I don't want to say much about him, but, and he's, he's a reasonable, nice young fella, but he fell in with the wrong people, did something really stupid, and he had to go to court. And we all got the shock of our lives. He got 10 years. Now he'll be out in five or six. He did something stupid. And do you know what he did stupid? He didn't heed his mother. He didn't honor her. He didn't respect her. He didn't listen to her wisdom and her discernment. And he did something really stupid. And he got 10 years in jail for it. Young people, it's here. Make sure you listen to your folks. We're not stupid. I've been around the block a few times. And I'm way up the road further than most of you. When we come... um, Sorry, where am I now? So, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we enter into the family of God. Our lives are bound together by something stronger than physical ties. The bonds of the Spirit. All born-again Christians have an indwelling Spirit of God dwelling in them. We're related by something more powerful than human blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. God calls His family to love one another with a deep affection of that storge love. By this, all men shall know that ye are my disciples. Storge is the natural love and affection of a parent for a child. It is a family unity, relationship with a natural affection one for another. God gave this love to the church, to everyone who's born again. That, that's this family. We're a family. We should have a natural affection one to the other. You know, when I go to some other churches where there are born-again people, I go, I know here and here, these are my people, and I'm comfortable with them, and I want to talk with them. I tell you, last night, just a thought occurred to me there. I was coming out, I went up to um, Super Value, parked the car around the back, and I got out, and the guy beside me had the, the, uh, the light on in the car, and I looked at it, and I went, he had a big Bible. 
So I went in, got what I had to get, and come back out again, and he was still there. And he was like this, and he was working on his big Bible. That was a big Bible. Now, it wasn't a big marriage-type Bible. It was just a bigger version of mine, a big preacher's-type Bible. I didn't want to disturb him, but I wanted to disturb him. I thought, is he a Christian? So I wanted to, and I thought, this guy's a born-again Christian. I wanted to fellowship with him for a few minutes, even just to talk to him. I was coming back last week, I think I may have told you this from the ladies, and I was getting fuel. Oh, I was going to get you. I was coming from Belfast, and I was just near Dundalk, parked the bus, I was putting fuel in, and then paid for it, and it came out, and I just wanted to check the oil, and I'd taken the dipstick out, and I put it in, and this guy tapped me on the shoulder, and a big guy standing there. And guess what? He was a pastor of a church um, up on the Falls Road. Now, if you know anything about Northern Ireland, Falls Road is the heartland of Republican Ireland. And the Shankill Road is the heartland of the loyalist Northern Ireland. He has two men's groups. He was telling me all this. He just saw it on the bus. And he came over and started to tell me about what he's doing in Northern Ireland. And I thought, this is just brilliant. I said, I'm actually down in Cork. I'm originally from the Shankill. I said, God took me down there. And he stepped back. He said, I'm a converted Roman Catholic. He says, all my family are Republicans, fierce Republicans. He says, and I preach the gospel to them. I'm trying to win them for Christ. He got converted. But he saw the sign in our bus. And he was not that pumped, but the next one over. And he walked all the way over, just wanted to speak to me. And he probably went, there's one of my own kind. Just wanted to fellowship for a few minutes. And that's the way we should be with each other all the time. So I need to finish. Okay. So we looked at um, godly love. We looked at sexual love. We looked at friendship love. And we've just looked at uh, family love. So what about a conclusion? 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's actually a gap, eh, love? That's an action. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love... This one got me all week. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God, all of us, because there be neither male nor female, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth not us, or knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And what kept coming back to my head, and I keep thinking about it, and we should be asking ourselves all the time, it's like renewing in our minds, what manner of love the Father's bestowed in me? Just what? I can't grasp his love, because it's, it's, it's not infinite, it's a finite mind, and there's only so much I can grasp. There's only so much that I can understand. And I keep asking, all this week I've been going, what manner of love did you give to me? Oh yeah, you loved me before I, I got saved. And you gave your son Jesus, you actually gave your beloved son for me. What manner of love? We should ask ourselves that all the time. What manner of love did you give to me? Wow, and renew that in our minds. He adopted us as sons. He brings us into his family. We are called upon with our little vessels, these little tiny finite minds and bodies, to measure the contents of the great ocean, God's love. Can't plumb his depths of the love that he has for us because it's an infinite abyss. It just goes on and on and on. There's not enough string in the history of the world to fathom the depths of his love for us. It's beyond our comprehension. And the whole conception of love is just beyond us. We only can get so much of an understanding. But his love is a love that would die for me, die for you. A love that gives all Jesus, his his beloved son. A love that doesn't hold back anything. God gave his son. A love that only comes from God. God loves us and has adopted us into his family. And his love is expressed as in a family expresses his love, or we express love for a spouse. We express love for our neighbors. Oh, funny enough, there's another one. And a new commandment I give unto you to love one another. What does it say in the Old Testament? Love thy neighbor as thyself. See that? To love our neighbors. 
and we have to express our love also to God. God gives me his love so that I can love him back with it. That was another one set me back with You gave me your love into me so that I could love you back with it. Isn't that an amazing thought? He gives me his love so that I can love him back with it. Because I don't have the love. His love comes from God. That was another one I thought, that's brilliant, Lord, thank you. I just love that one. So we're to love the sinner. Or sorry, he loved us while yet sinners and he loves me with the same love as he loves the sinner. I'm his beloved son. I have an inheritance. I have a relationship. I'm adopted into this family. All my sins are wiped out. And he loves that man who's not saved the same way he loves me. Remember, before you were saved, he loved me while I was yet a sinner. So he loves the sinner exactly the same as me. No more, no less, no different. That's what I love about God. See, there's that word love again. So he loved us while we were yet sinners. And we, then, with that love that God gives us, we're to love the sinner. We're to love the brethren. Love your wife, love your sister in the Lord. See, see, I had to think about her, and I went, she's not just my wife. I see what you mean. I'm big time wrong here. She's also my sister in the Lord. So is my daughter, sister in the Lord. And my son is my brother in the Lord. So I have to love him a couple of ways. Love him as my son. Love him as my uh, brother in the Lord as well. So we have to love each other in all kinds of ways. And we're to love God with all that we are. We bandy the word love about easily. And it's like, what I tried to do here is to try and break it down a little bit into its component parts. You know, like the sun rays. They're all sun rays. And they all give a sunburn, but they're all coming from the sun. They're all the same thing. But we need to try and understand that love a little bit more, how it works and the different ways that we need to use it. So... So we're to be more loving, be more effective with love because we love each other and others. Then we are to obey his commands. So when we look at someone, we need to choose to love them as God loved us. Amen.